Justin Shears and welcome to Only a Northern Song. In this series, I'll be exploring the words and the music of the Beatles, but not through the usual tracks that we all know so well. I'll be delving into my extensive collection of outtakes, home recordings and demos, alternate mixes and interviews, to shed some new light on lesser known aspects of the Beatles' recorded legacy. By 1969, the Beatles and their producer George Martin were highly regarded as musical and recording innovators. All four Beatles could write songs in any number of musical styles, and their production team at Abbey Road Studios, led of course by George Martin, but aided admirably by an innovative crew of studio engineers, were able to record the sounds that were in the Beatles' heads with precision and accuracy. After all, the eclectic range of songs on Sgt. Pepper had been captured completely on outdated four-track tape, but still took the world by storm. As the Beatles emerged from the Get Back project and got down to making their next studio album, on George Martin's famous proviso that he be allowed to actually produce them, as he had done in the early days, there was still a hankering for doing something different. George Martin recalls. Side two of Abbey Road was very much my favourite because it was Paul and I doing what I wanted to do after Pepper. Pepper, I thought we were establishing a new art form and I tried to get the boys to think in symphonic terms. I would say to them, if you're going to write a song, work it so that you can write another song and then bring the two together, have counterpoint, bring a little melody here and there that's a fragment of the other one and develop a whole sequence like a symphonic work. And Paul thought this was a great idea. John didn't. John want, John's a rocker. He wanted a series of rock tracks. So we compromised with Abbey Road. And one side of them is just tracks, but with notably a song like Because, which is really quite a classic song from John, as one of those tracks. But then a song like Come Together, which was a fantastic rock track. But the long one was Paul evolving the symphonic idea. And John contributed to that a lot too. And we wed it together, and I think it's really one of my favourite works, the way it all blended in. And I think we were really getting somewhere. I don't think anything's been done quite like that. The track which kicked off the idea of a medley was You Never Give Me Your Money, a song which in itself is a kind of medley of four parts, each of which was given its own mini-title in Paul's 1969 notebook. The first is You Never Give Me Your Money, a lament of the Beatles' financial troubles, with references to funny paper, the bits of paper the group would be given telling them how much money they'd earned, but never actually saw in pound notes. The second section is called Out of College, a jaunty, nostalgic piece similar to his woke up, got out of bed part in A Day in the Life, in which Paul recounts being penniless having left college. The third part is called One Sweet Dream, a tune with a more optimistic feel about being free to pack up the car and head out of town with new bride Linda. Time is now 12.31 and this is Paul McCartney with a light at the local. Uh, I think you've got the title wrong, Paul. Oh, light and local. <laughs> That's a bit better. Right. Well, Paul, you've been married, what, a uh, couple of months now? A couple of months, yeah. Uh, what's it like um, being the, the last of the Bachelor Beatles now you're married? 
It's terrible, you know. <laughs> That's okay, you know. It's the same as being married for everyone, you know. It's married. Yeah, you're uh, liking it anyway. Yes, it's fine. Yeah. It's meant to you, of course, that you've got an instant family as well. You've got a daughter. Yes, age six, young Heather, who's starstruck and would love to be on the programme, but uh, I've put her back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how do you get on with her anyway? Oh, great. She's a great kid, you know. She's lovely. Where are you going for your holidays? Going to France. Try and get a bit of sunshine. Uh, how long will you be away? Uh, I hope in all to be away for about a month, you know. Because we've got nothing on for the next month. And we've had a lot on for the past couple of months, as you might have heard from a couple of newspapers here and there. So I'm just trying to get a break now, you know. Yeah, well, well, tell us about what, in fact, you have got on, Paul. Oh, we've been doing a lot of stuff, you know, we've had uh, a lot of stuff happening down at Apple, you know, and uh, we've been making records ourselves, we've been working like till four in the morning making records and stuff, you know, and uh, the Northern Songs bid has been on, you know, so it's been high finance down there for the last couple of months, but it seems to be going okay now, you know, so I'm just taking a break, get away from it all. You talk about high finance. In fact, the, the Beatles, to me, now, seem to be more businessmen than performers. Yeah, well, the thing is, you see, uh, when we started off as Beatles, you know, we, we knew nothing about the business side of it. And one thing that does happen in the business is that uh, if you're the artist or if you're the singer or something, you do get agents and people, you know, who are on the business end of it. And uh, sometimes you can get a bit carved up, you know. So that we've had a lot of, we've been involved in a lot of contracts and a lot of things, you know. It's all it's all very boring, but we've we've had a, uh, it's a lot of contracts and stuff that uh, we have to try and straighten out, you know. Now, so that we've become a bit more business minded, you know. But I still can't stand business, you know. I'd much rather, you know, the four of us really just a rock band, you know. But we've got to actually sort of think now when we sign a contract, what does it mean, you know? It's all, it's growing up, you know. You've got to do it one time in your life. Uh, you never give me your money. It's really hard. You have to hear this because it's, it does like two verses of one tune and then it goes, the sort of bridge of it is like a different song altogether. This is a sort of a, another scene with uh, Paul and, and this piano. Yes. This part. Was this Paul on piano? Oh, he's always on piano. You can't get him off. Right, and it starts with You Never Give Me Your Money, which was one of Paul's, and it, it starts slow and then it gradually builds up and it's a bit of a rocker, you know? You know, Paul always writes nice melodies. In fact, I don't know where he finds them half the time. <laughs> it's amazing for doing that, I think, because whatever you're involved with rubs off and influences you. You Never Give Me Your Money was, I think, during all these business things that we had to go through to sort out the past. So it came out in Paul's song. Was that written as a sort of dig, or was it written no, as No, I don't think so. I think it's just written as that's what it is, you yeah. know, that's what we are experiencing, or Paul in particular. OK, here it comes. Never going to get this one. Oh, 
I'm in love with you. Well, all right. Okay, eh? Okay. <coughs> oh, you never give me your money. Oh, you're much better. Walnuts. Okay. You never give me your coffee. Okay, come on now. Here it is, boys. Here it is. Come on, boys. Esley off, please. It's exactly half past two and it's 36. And here we go. 36.
Recorded around half past two in the morning in a session which had begun on the evening of the 6th of May, take 36 of You Never Give Me Your Money. With Paul singing his lead vocal and playing on grand piano, with Leslie Speaker applied in the second section, and Ringo on drums, George plays a bottom-heavy part on electric six-string, and John chimes in throughout. This was the final attempt at the basic track, but the tape was rolled back to take 30 to find the best version for the master. After a rough stereo mix was made at the end of the session, the song was then shelved until July, with no sessions for the album taking place for roughly six weeks. In this time, George travelled to Sardinia and also continued to work and record with other artists. Ringo travelled to New York and Paul went on holiday in Greece. John and Yoko invited the world along on their second honeymoon, but their travel plans didn't quite go according to the script. Well, we've been trying to get in the States to do a peace mission and uh, we've been trying to get visas, you know, and uh, it doesn't look like we're getting it so far. So we're going to the Bahamas to sort of blast off from the Bahamas, do a Cuba on the our way from the Bahamas. And the reasons and the, the behind the scenes bit about the visas, we'll let you know about in the Bahamas. Uh, we've got something to say about which we won't say yet till we find out, you know, give them a day. And the thing is, we want to go and do a peace mission, we want to take acorns to Nixon, that's all we want to do, but uh, somebody doesn't want us to do it, you know? And uh, so the Bahamas are the next best deal we could think of. And we'll probably do bed event there, which we did in Amsterdam, which will stay in the bed a week. And we'll call it our second honeymoon, which we're having rather quickly after our first one. And we'll be doing that from the Bahamas, bed for a week, and then we'll be out and about a bit, waiting to hear about the States and trying to get friends inside to help us, you know. Because I think they think I'm going to go there and run around the streets naked, you know. The plan is just to promote peace in a non-violent fashion, and the States needs it. And it's the right time for two non-violent people to go. And why are they frightened of two non-violent people going to promote non-violence? Even though John and Yoko were delayed in the Bahamas while trying to obtain a visa for the United States, their time was not completely wasted, with a new song written and demoed while they were waiting. Everybody's talking about baggers and faggers and shaggers and draggers and hackers and flaggers and shag-bag-raggers Masturbation, masturbation, uh, constipation, uh, uh, masturbation, uh, cake, chop, cake, uh, 
John and Yoko kept pushing for a way into the United States, but it was not to be. Assistant Derek Taylor, however, did manage to get the couple on a flight for somewhere more to their liking. Can you get us into Toronto? Beautiful place. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of them, the, the Beatles and Elizabeth Taylor and Burton usually stay. Thank you very much. All right. Bye-bye. What is it? The direct flight. Report to Toronto at five o'clock today, Air Canada Jet. In a replay of their first honeymoon in Amsterdam and Vienna, John and Yoko resumed their public relations campaign for peace, spreading the word through the Canadian and therefore the world's press. On the 5th of May, Lisa Minnelli makes the bed. It's a bed-in, folks. Well, now, you see, John and Yoko is a team, you see, and uh, we're doing it together. But, but you were a filmmaker before. Are you still going to make films? Yes. We're making films together now. Yes. Well, you're on one now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you're in it. I think they might think I'm going to uh, hot up the revolution. You know, I want to cool it down. That's why we're doing this, because we thought it's very urgent. And every one of us are in it. If we make people laugh, that's enough. Happiness is a good vibe for peace. And, but they could, they I'm could. saying, grow your hair for peace. Oh, cut it off. Have some sign on it that's for peace, you know. All we're saying is, if you think you can do better, do it. You top it. Stop asking us, do you think it's going to work? You know, do something yourself. Your main energy should go be going into the people on the street get this your priorities right yeah. it's people who are going to change the government it's people's minds that are going to be you open to know that they are it and they can run without government just get people indoctrinated to think peace you know it's the only way you've got to get through to housewives and children they're going to be the next generation you've got to get through to them and convince them that peace is the way that's why we're saying look you've got women in your organization photograph them and then sell it and just have less words and more peace. No intellectualism, none of the approach and how we're going to do it and what we're going to do when we get, when we get control. Don't be snobs about it. Get down, get your trousers off and sell. If somebody cracked a joke at one of those disarmament conferences, maybe they disarmed. And as Yoko says, if they had no trousers on when they went to war, 
maybe they wouldn't fight so much. Jokes are good, you know. Let's have more jokes. What formula do you have, say, to, to end the war in Vietnam? Oh, let's end the war in this room. I see. Was so there a war? Yoko and I say, if we two can live together, then there's chance for everybody to live together. How am I responsible for Biafra? Because you're part of the world, that's why. And you're a human being. Any final message in just a few seconds? Peace, 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 peace. Peace in your mind, peace on earth, peace at work, peace at home, peace in the world. In their bed in room 1742 at the Hotel Rain Elizabeth in Montreal, John and Yoko surrounded themselves with like-minded friends and artists and captured a musical message for the world in an impromptu recording, which, with a little overdubbing and tweaking, would resonate throughout the peace movement for decades to come. Join us, you know, in chorus. Because no man is a uh, famous opera singer or something. Yes, yes. Okay. So, shouldn't we first do the Gibson dance because yeah. they, they remember it and all that? Okay. Just pasting it up in the wall is the best because it's very okay. functional. Jennifer, can you paste that up on the wall there so the everybody can watch every, it? Everybody can see. Put it over the 11th commandment. Do you know where that, the other copy is I did, the quarter size copy? Everybody's talking about baggies and jaggies and raggies and maddies and raggies and taggies and this is and that is and is and is and is. All we are saying is give peace a chance.
Recorded on the 31st of May 1969, takes one and four of Give Peace a Chance, complete with John's acoustic guitar and a hotel wardrobe being thumped for percussive effect. Take four would be double-tracked and embellished with extra vocals for impact and would be Rush released in July on Apple Records under the name Plastic Ono Band. But credited to Lennon and McCartney, even though Paul had nothing to do with the song at any time. Such was the state of the writing credits, even at this late stage of the Beatles' career. Come July, the Beatles were ready to resume recording at Abbey Road Studios, with one small hiccup. John and Yoko were involved in a car crash, with John putting their car into a ditch. Yoko's injuries required a few days in hospital, which meant John was absent for the first few sessions. Paul didn't waste any time, however, overdubbing a new lead vocal onto Take 30 of You Never Give Me Your Money. His bass guitar part would also be added 10 days later. Good. 
A rough mono mix of Take 30 of You Never Give Me Your Money, as it stood on the 11th of July 1969. More overdubs would take place later that week. Like many of the tunes brought to Abbey Road for the Beatles' new LP, the next song to be recorded had emerged from the Get Back sessions in January, with a full arrangement in mind. Jazz band. Yeah, well, it's it's like a funny, it's like a dance jazz band. Yeah. yeah. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I wanna tell her that I love her a lot. And what about the reference to the Queen? What made you put that on the LP? That's caused a lot of surprises. <laughs> Very nice, but it was, you know, a lot of people didn't know it was there. I saw your column in the <laughs> daily newspaper. I wish I could have got a hold of you. That was just, um, I don't know, you know, I was in Scotland. And I was just writing this little tune. You know, I can I can never tell like how tunes come out. I just wrote it as a joke, you know. Has the Queen or any member of the royal family ever discussed your music with you? Do they ever? When you no, the only thing I ever talked, uh, the only time I ever talked to a member of the royal family really was uh, with the Queen Mother when she had a, on a variety performance thing, and she just said, uh, "Where are you playing tomorrow night?" It wasn't exactly about music. Were you playing tomorrow night? And uh, I think I said, or one of us said, Slough. And she said, oh, that's just near us. <laughs> <laughs> and I understand Princess Anne goes out and buys your records. She Apparently, I know we did autographs once a couple of years ago. I think they were for Prince Charles and Princess Anne. So. What do you think of the monarchy today? I don't really think about it. I like that film. You yeah. know, I enjoyed that film and I... I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't doesn't interest me one way or the other. You know, I think they're nice people. They seem all right, you know, and they looked. As, you know, Queen tells a good joke, as she did in that film. You know, they're good. She's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I wanna tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her 
majesty's a pretty nice girl Someday I'm gonna make her mine, oh yeah Someday I'm gonna make her mine Oh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen Two Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make her mine. Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make her mine. Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I wanna tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. Yeah. From the second of July nineteen sixty-nine. All three takes of Paul's very short tribute to Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. The song was quickly captured on tape before the session proper began. It would come to play a critical part in the Abbey Road LP story. Like Her Majesty, the other song started on the 2nd of July was first introduced to the band at Twickenham Studios in January. I think a lot of people might be surprised that you sort of dare to take Golden Slumbers, the well-known lullaby, and give it a new variation. I, I enjoyed it very much, but um, what made you decide to do that? Because the Beatles have never done that before, have they? Yeah. Taken another tune or lyrics? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I was just playing the piano in Liverpool, my dad's house, and uh, my sister Ruth's piano book, she was learning piano, and you know those sort of with Ken John Peel yeah. and Golden Slumbers and your old yes, favourites, yeah. was up on the thing, you know, this, stand, you know, there's a little book with all those words in it and stuff. So I was just flicking through it and I came to Golden Slumbers, you know. So I just started, because I can't read music, so I didn't know the tune. I can't remember the old tune. You know? <laughs> so I started uh, just playing my tune to it. And then I liked the words, so I just kept that, you know, and then it fitted with another bit of song I had, which is the verse in between it. So I just made that into a song. It just happened because I was reading their book. Slumbers, which they all all these link up. Golden Slumbers is another very melodic tune of Paul's, which is very nice. Carry That Weight is um, as if it's part of Golden Slumbers. In fact, Carry That Weight keeps coming in and out of it different times.
The bit you might remember is, um, it, and I will sing a lullaby. It's at the end of it. I don't know how the rest of it goes, but just at the end of it goes, and I will sing a lullaby. Yes. Outtakes from the Get Back sessions prove that golden slumbers and carry that weight were intended to be joined, and that perhaps there was a more significant part for Ringo in a future arrangement. When three quarters of the Beatles gathered in Abbey Road Studio 2 on the 2nd of July, minus John due to his car accident the previous day, they recorded the basic tracks for the song. Fast forward to 1995 when the remaining members of the Beatles and George Martin listened back to take one of the song from this day while filming for the Beatles anthology. There was some confusion about who played what on the tape. Listen out for the others playfully ribbing George's charming confusion. Which album is this? This was on uh, Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Abbey Road. Abbey Road. <laughs> You're George. Foremost Beatle expert, <laughs> George Hansen. <laughs> bass and piano so far. Once there was a way. Playing the piano. Sleep, pretty, darling. Do not cry. I think 
now to play piano. So who was playing bass? Yes. I think I'll overdub it. can't play at the same time. He overdubbed it. Can you overdub it? You can hear one? the sound of it. It's like direct inject. <laughs> Maybe okay. I play bass. I play bass on some with that six string I mean, Fender. It sounds like it. It was Maybe. definitely Paul playing piano, so he couldn't even. Well, you he, bass you should be able to tell yeah. because. Let's shall we? You know, you just know. Hold on a moment. Have done it. <laughs> there are lots of there's lots of false starts and breakdowns. That was take one. So we end, we end up at. Are you saying the bass is couldn't it couldn't have been overdubbed because it's on every take? It was live. Mm. Okay, well then it must have been me or John playing it. Mm. Obviously. Golden Slammers take one. Yeah, there's a couple on the, on the album a bit like that. Day after day. Boop, boop, boop. Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby. Once there was a way to get back homeward. Once there was a way to get back home. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry. And I will sing a lullaby.
takes one to three of Golden Slumber's Carry That Weight, recorded with Paul on piano and guide vocal, Ringo on drums, and yes, that's George on his six-string Fender bass guitar. Work continued throughout the evening, with a total of 15 takes being recorded, most of which were incomplete. Clearly arranging the song with a medley in mind, Paul reprises some of You Never Give Me Your Money in the instrumental section. By the end of this session, it was decided that an edit of takes 15 and 13 would be best and would be called Take 13 for simplicity. Here's how it sounded. Biffler.
Well, that's it for this episode. Join us next time when creativity flows from all four Beatles as the Abbey Road sessions continue. Until next time. 